welcome back to Shamelessly Unapologetic with me, your host, Alana Pinsky. So in this episode, I had one of my colleagues from grad school, Kendall Kaufman, who is also a licensed marriage and family therapist. He came on the show so we could talk about our experiences from grad school, the importance of having connection or maybe even finding connection, and why you should get therapy and trying to normalize it. This was a really great episode. We've dived into a lot about our experiences. I spilled a ton of tea about grad school because that's information that I haven't really shared on the internet yet. So you'll get to learn a little bit more about my experiences and what that was like for me and what that was also like for Kendall. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. And with that being said, let's jump into it. Hey, Kendall, I'm so happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? I am well. I am well. It is very chilly in Columbus, Ohio. So um, I just moved back from Orlando. So it's quite an adjustment getting used to the snow and the cold. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I actually went to Columbus last year and Mm -hmm. it snowed as I was leaving the airport because I went last year for the Arnold Expo. And yeah, it was just freezing cold going from California where I don't get snow and here I am back in the snow I was just thinking oh welcome to Ohio Lana. <laughs> no for real and it's very you know I noticed you know because you know we overlapped when we were in Lexington together and you know I always thought you know Kentucky was still about 10 degrees warmer than Ohio I know that's not like I don't know if that's scientifically proven but it always felt that way and especially like where you did um the Arnold Classic that's like right in the wind tunnels where all of the wind and crap's at so like it just blows people down so yeah I understand yeah I don't think I remembered it being windy when I was there because it was like close to the short north area if I remember Mm. yep that's correct yeah yeah and so it didn't seem that bad. I noticed that there was actually a decent amount of sunlight when I went. So that kind of helped a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice change up. It's been days since I've seen the sun. So no, it's hopefully we'll get some, you know, change of weather soon, but it'll be this way for a while, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. For those of you who are listening, Kendall and I went to grad school together at the University of Kentucky, and he was actually the year below me. And <laughs> Our program was very small, not our program, but our department was very small. So pretty much everyone knew everyone. So it was a great way to easily meet people. Um, But it's funny though, because Kendall and I had completely two different experiences in grad school. I will be very honest that mine was very negative. And Mm -hmm. this is actually something that I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about with Kendall. So you're going to get a lot of new information from me, Kendall. (laughs) And then then I know Kendall had a very positive experience. So we're just kind of reminisce over our grad school experiences. And a little bit later, we're going to kind of talk more about therapy since Kendall is a marriage and family therapist. And yeah, so he's a therapist himself. And I think what's really important is that like, you know, when you're a therapist, you know, it's okay that we also get therapy ourselves. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Without a doubt. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about that towards, I guess, the end of the episode. So I guess, Kendall, why don't you go first? Um, We can talk more about, I guess, the program that we were in or the department we were in and kind of just go from there. Sure, sure. So um, I guess to start that, I guess, is how I ended up in Lexington to begin with. So Yeah, during, and I'll do the during, same too. 
Yeah, so my undergrad, um, I actually went to undergrad in Columbus, Ohio at Otterbein. It's a small liberal arts college, kind of close to Ohio State. And, you know, at the time, I really didn't know or really have an interest in clinical work. That was never something I was, never something I thought I would pursue. And Mm -hmm. I really kind of at the time was thinking about a PhD in sociology because I was really interested in intersections of gender and race and how things like class status impact like the ways that we connect with people and things like that. And so I had an advisor actually who suggested, you know, why don't you consider looking at clinical programs or something like that. And I was kind of geographically bound at the time. And so, you know, I ended up finding, you know, the University of Kentucky's couple and family therapy program. I applied, got in and, you know, kind of the rest is history. And so while I was there, I spent two years in Lexington. Lexington, I kind of have a, you know, I look back similar to as you kind of explained, my relationship with Lexington was pretty positive, I would say, but Lexington Lexington as a city is cool. Is <laughs> oh it's something, but like I would say, Kentucky as a greater whole, uh, I struggle with it a little bit at times, yeah, for sure. Same. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like my trajectory and kind of how I ended up in the program. I ended up getting an assistantship there, and you know, kind of the rest is history. Yeah. So for me. <clears throat> So when I was in college, I actually started off as a biology major. For those of you who don't know, I actually originally wanted to go into veterinary medicine practice. And my grades were just not allowing me for that to happen. So I kind of gave up. And I actually don't really regret that. And then it was only about five days before my junior year of college started, I changed my major to human services. And I was actually Mm. really interested in the social services route, the helping professional field. And as I'm taking these courses, I was falling in love with my major. I absolutely loved the classes I was taking and it inspired me to want to take the therapy track once I was finished with school, but I knew I had to go to grad school for it. So my senior year of college, I applied to four marriage and family therapy programs Mm. and which four, I if didn't, you don't mind me asking. Yeah, so I applied to the University of Alabama, which was a big mistake because apparently their program isn't even accredited. Really? And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I applied to Southern Mississippi, University of Maryland, and then University of Kentucky. And I only got interviews to Kentucky and Southern Miss. And Southern Miss's program was really weird. It's interesting because Hattiesburg was actually a really cute city. And it was not too far from New Orleans. I actually went um, to Hattiesburg on Mardi Gras weekend. So after I was done with my interview, I drove my car out to New Orleans and I was in the city for about five hours. A friend was with me. So that was really fun to just experience Mardi Gras over there. But anyway, I didn't get into that program. And then the way that it works with Kentucky, they do it really weird. I'm sure you might remember this too. When they invite you to the interview, they also accept you into the department. So even if you don't get into the program, you can still attend the university. Mm-hmm. And so I went through the interview process and then I didn't get in, but I took the consolation prize. And then my goal was to just reapply again. And so this is kind of where shit hits the fan for me, but I don't want to get into it just too yet, (laughs) just because there's still so much more to talk about. But that's kind of how I ended up in Lexington was I took the consolation prize. And honestly, I kind of regret it. I wish I had applied to more schools, but I think I had only applied to four because it was all I could afford since application fees are. Oh my gosh. So expensive. 
the application process for anyone that's that would be listening or is interested in graduate school or anything like that like you know sadly I feel as though and I'd be interested to see what you think too Alana but I I really do feel the cost that goes into applying to graduate school and like interviewing and paying to have your transcript sense like it's very much you know gatekeeping you know it's not it's not applicable for a lot of people to be able to apply to multiple schools because every transcript you send costs taking the GRE yes. is GRE is not one of it's just not fun to take in the first place but it's also really expensive and then if you don't get the score you want you have to retake it and then you have to send your scores you know so it's a very costly program and I think similar to you I think I only applied to four programs um, at that time it was you know and that that alone is very expensive yeah yeah where else did you apply to Ooh, um, so I applied to, um, I applied to U Ohio State's PhD program in sociology at the same time, because that was still something I was considering and I was waitlisted there. Um, and then eventually I just um, withdrew my application because I got into Kentucky, but I also applied to University of Louisville. Um, I got in there, however, they didn't provide any funding. So okay. I wasn't gonna, you know, do I, you know, that's another kind of, I know that things are a little bit different now with COVID. So that's something to really take into effect. A lot of programs are losing their funding, which is really upsetting yeah. and sad for a lot of folks. But if you get the chance, like go to, if you're going to grad school, like definitely get funding. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And I was very scared about accepting my offer. I accepted my offer yeah. last minute because I was really uncertain because I still wasn't offered an assistantship. And then of course, maybe mm. a few weeks after I applied, I accepted my offer. They gave me an assistantship. So that confirmed that, okay, I'm going, I am going to school basically for free. I, cause, oh my gosh, if I hadn't gone assistantship, I'd be 40 K in debt. And oh I was gosh, very, yeah. I was very fortunate enough to not have student debt from college. Um, privileged woman right here, I guess you could say. <laughs> We'll take, uh, yeah, the I, we'll take it. Yeah, sure. I try not to talk about it because I don't want to like make others feel bad, but I want to be honest. That was my situation. So I think I really only paid what a thousand dollars out of pocket for two years. And that was just like in the student health fees that the assistantship mm. didn't cover. So it was pretty solid um, to say the least. So I was super excited about getting funded and also having a job while I was in school. So that was a perk. So I definitely am glad to say that it wasn't a waste of money for me, um, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a waste of time. Sure. So I guess for me, what I, where do I even start? So yeah. before I talk about like my experiences with people and the program and everything like that, I really enjoyed all the classes I was taking. And I realized, Alana, you can reapply to this program again. So I reapplied and I sat down with the person who's in charge of the program. I'll just call him R. I had a meeting with him because I really wanted to know what can I do better to improve my application? So I had about a 30 minute meeting with him in person to talk about the criteria to get into the program. I was telling him, you know, I'm interested in going through the process again. So it was a good meeting. It made me feel a lot better about myself and how I can improve my application, how to better myself during the interview process, all of that good stuff, right? So I went through the interview process again, which was for the same cohort that you were a part of. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember you and I like clicked during that interview. It was so nice talking to you. Do you remember when we talked about Lady Gaga? I, I remember. That was the first thing. You actually were the first person I saw when I walked in because I sat next to who ended up being my roommate was right beside me. But right across from me was you actually, if I'm correct. We sat like directly across from each other. And I remember somehow Lady Gaga definitely got brought up, which, you know, yeah. little little monster till the end. So I Absolutely. Yeah. Damn straight. Little monster till the end. So yeah, it was, I was feeling really good about all the people that I was meeting at this interview. And then I get waitlisted and mm. I'm just thinking, what the fuck? How am I waitlisted? I'm in the department. I have my master's program or not my master's program, my thesis all planned out. I have proof that I can make good grades in grad school. I know everyone, what still made me waitlisted? But I didn't lose hope. You know, I was praying that some people just, all I could do was just pray that some people just wouldn't accept their offer. And then there would be a spot for me. And there was a lot of talk about people. I didn't, I don't know how people found out about uh, others accepting the offer or not, but there was talk about it. And I was starting to feel very discouraged um, mm. because there was only like, six like spots. Like my cohort? Like, so yes. you were finding out, oh, I see. Yes. I don't know how they found out, but they did. And it was making me feel very discouraged because again, yeah. there was only six spots for the program. And I don't know how many spots were on the wait list. And I don't know where I was on the wait list. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until May when I found out that I just got rejected. So wow, May, that's a long period of time. Yeah, that's, that's when they said they would let me know is latest was May. So that put me in a very dark state of depression. And before I like get into that mess, um, sure. that's just kind of how my story came to be. So I'm not going to lie. I definitely graduated from Kentucky very bitter. Mm -hmm. I had a bad attitude. I, I'm not afraid to share that. I think everyone knew that I was bitter and humiliated because this rejection, it took a huge toll on me and it felt like my whole self-worth was shot and I felt like I wasn't good enough. So that year that you came in, mm -hmm. I was absolutely not myself. And mm -hmm. I was this depressed person for that whole year. And it just sucks that people didn't get to see a better side of me. Because I think now if I was around all the people that we went to school with, if we had some sort of magical reunion post-COVID, they would see like who I really am as a person before I talk about my relationships with everyone in school, because yeah. that's a whole nother thing that made my experience a roller coaster. I wanted to know a little bit more about you getting in. How did you feel when you got it? And just the steps that made you choose Kentucky. I know yeah. not getting funding from Louisville prop was probably a main factor, but I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to share as sure. well. No, no, completely. And you know, as I kind of discuss it, like, right, like, I think kind of comparing our experiences, you know, was, is, I think, something that I'm too super open to. And, and I think, like, I remember at the time when I did apply, um, you know, truthfully, the, the irony is, is that I didn't know, I guess, to the extent of which I would be practicing, like, I knew it was a therapy program, I guess, but at the time, like, I had, a, I guess, my own insecurities about what it would mean as I think so many people do when they enter mental health and that type of field, so many insecurities about what, what my job is and what my role is, like what's it gonna be like to actually be like sitting in a room with someone walking through you know, difficult struggle and, and things like that. 
And so I remember applying um, and just feeling like a great sense of relief because it was um, the only program that I fully got in that offered the funding. And so that really like made a huge difference uh, for me. Honestly, the funding was a huge piece. And I think I felt a sense of connection with everyone that I met, including you at the interview. Like I got along with, like there was never like, I think sometimes when we're in spaces, there are definitely people we can be like, oh, like I don't connect or like, I don't feel right here or something doesn't feel oh, good. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> something feels off. Um, and I didn't feel off with anyone that I met in the interview process. And so that made, I think the decision that much more clear and, um, you know, kind of felt more like a place of home. And also another factor really, if in full transparency, I think I applied to undergrad and I went to an undergrad, I went to a university that was only about 25 or 30 minutes from home because I think as an 18 year old and even an early 20 year old, I had a lot of insecurity about being an adult and living away from home or if I was mm -hmm. going to be capable of that. And, you know, this was kind of the next step for me because it was still, you know, it was three hours from home. I mean, so I could get home easily, but it felt like I was starting to kind of walk into more independence as kind of a, you know, mid 20 year old. So I would say relief, but also a lot of fear too. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I was actually really, it's so funny that I like look back on this because I'm just like thinking Alana, what were you thinking? But mm. I was very excited to move to a new state. And mm. I think for me at the time, college really brainwashed me to loving the South. And after being oh. in the South for so long, I realized I actually fucking hate the South. This is absolutely not the place yeah. for me. <laughs> so I thought, you know, moving to Kentucky was going to be a great way for me to embrace my Southern culture and everything and to still, oh my embrace God. The Southern culture. Well, and so I cringe back on this because well, looking, I, yeah, go ahead, sorry, go, ahead. go I on. Gonna say, I was going to say looking back on it, not necessarily would you necessarily maybe change the outcome or, you know, cause I think whatever path we're on, we get to where we are today because of all the, the shit that goes on. But do you think like looking back, you would have applied to programs or even mental health programs at all? Or would you have applied to like out West or like if you had current Alana? Yeah. Current Alana would have been a lot more diverse with her selection of schools. I really yeah. wish I had applied to California schools because MFT is huge in California. Mm. There's so many accredited programs in California. I was so, I guess, hellbound on just being in the South. And I really regret that decision. I didn't want to go North where it was cold. And yeah, looking back now, I, I wish I could tell what, but how old was I? 22 year old Alana? No, don't yes. do it. Don't just stick to it's the young. South. It's young when you think about it now. Yeah. Yeah, so that is something that I, I really regret. But you know what, Kendall, I will say, I'm kind of glad I'm not an MFT now. Here's the thing. Mm, I yeah. still think that I would have made a great therapist. I just don't have the energy to go back to school. It costs sure. money. I am so broke beyond belief right now. And mm. it's just going, I, I want to I make money. I want to live my life and not be set back by school because school does set you back in life sure. and I, I wanted to be done with that and that was something that I immediately realized once I finish this program I'm not doing a PhD I'm not getting another master's degree I'm I'm done so yeah that's something that I definitely regret at the time but you know it is what it is 
I will say that I am grateful for some of my experiences at Kentucky. I did make some great friends when I was there. I really liked UK as a school. I mm-hmm. still cheer on the cats. I love oh, yeah. watching basketball games. Here in San Francisco, we actually have um, a fan base bar. It's called Local Tap Ooh. and it's in Soma. No and so before COVID happened, I would go to this bar to watch basketball games, to watch football games. And I met some great people from the alumni association there. So I've been able to make friends who also went to Kentucky. Now they're a lot older than me. They're probably like in their late thirties, early forties, but they're great people. And it's great company to just, you know, all get together and cheer on the cats. So that mm-hmm. was one thing that I absolutely loved about going to a big flagship university, especially an SEC school, because I didn't go to an SEC school yet, even an ACC school when I was in college. I went to Old Dominion, so mm. it's a lot smaller. It's a D1 school, but it's not one of like the top five um, conferences. Sure. So it was really cool to experience attending an SEC school. So that was something that I really did like a lot. I don't completely regret everything, but there are some things that I definitely wish that I had changed. Well, and you know, and there's something that I think you said that I think is super important and it it's kind of overlapping a little bit with a couple of things you've said, but the choice to not go back or to kind of look it back in, in kind of a negative light, I think so much, and correct me where you feel this doesn't connect with you. Sure. Um, you know, there's... I think so many young people, especially today, and I think it's even tougher for students kind of in going into college right now, but so much of worthiness now is going and attaching to university or degree title or um, prestige or like getting into a program yep. where now it's no longer, in my opinion, like, you know, I want to go learn something. Now it feels a lot more like I need to obtain status from achieving blank. Uh, and I think that whenever those things fall, like, and there are tons of programs when I applied um, to doc programs um, after the fact that I didn't get into or things like that. And you have to kind of check yourself constantly because you can, it's so easy to walk down the rabbit hole and say things like, you know, this is proof that I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. Or I'm not smart enough and all these things. And, you know, probably one of the greatest quotes that I've ever heard um, from social worker Brene Brown was, uh, let me make sure to do it justice. It's, don't walk through the world looking for confirmation that you're not enough because you'll always find it. Uh, and yeah, I think that is really the essence of higher education right now. It's a lot of people stitch their worth to it. That is a- kind of what I wish I had really um, gotten a master's in was higher education. Mm-hmm. I should have mm-hmm. probably gone to that route because I was an RA for three years in college best fucking job I've ever had. I even got yeah. paid for it. Um, yep. So it helped me afford my life in college mm-hmm. and I didn't have to pay rent and I, I got money and I didn't have to pay rent. It was just a great deal. ODU paid their RAs fairly well. I would say I was able to afford my sorority. I could have a social life. It was great. I, I wish I had done higher education because I know I would have definitely gotten into higher ed programs. And there were, yeah. a, there's a ton of cool schools that have those kinds of programs. So I kind of do kick myself about that now, but it's okay. It's okay. Like, again, I, I don't regret too much, even though I did waste some of my time going to university in Kentucky, I can't say that I, I didn't learn anything. Cause that would sure. be a huge lie. Sure. So going into Kentucky, now we can kind of talk about making friends, yeah. meeting people. Cause this is where, yeah. This is what was so hard for me. Sure. So I didn't have a cohort. So with Mm. the family, in the family sciences department, 
There is a special cohort for the MFT or CFT students. There's six people in every class. And then there are some students who choose to master, to choose to get their master's in the non-clinical field. So I didn't have anyone else who was joining me in that journey. I was kind of alone, but I was still in classes with the CFT students. So I got to experience best of both worlds. I was able to be in classes with some of the um, second year students who were yeah above me. And then I was able to be in classes with the first year students who had just graduated college like I did at the same time. Most of them did at least. There were some people who graduated the year before me and then they just went to grad school a year later. That's fine too. So I was able to get the best of both worlds. But I will say, I definitely connected so well with the people above me. And mm -hmm. I think it was really great because there were these three girls that I was very close with in the year above me. And they could tell that I was feeling a little lonely and down because I was, I was incredibly lonely. I didn't have any friends. Thankfully, I knew my roommate when I was moving to Kentucky. That's a really funny story in itself, maybe for another time. But so I was lucky that I knew some one, I knew one person, but being in a program where you don't have your own cohort and you feel like an outsider. And I also had a lot of feelings of jealousy. When I would hear the CFT students talking about getting their first clients or they were complaining about their clients, I'm just thinking, I'd, I'd kill to be complaining about my clients right now. I'd kill for what you're doing. I felt very left out. And it was really nice that the second year students kind of took me underneath, underneath their wing and they made me feel very welcomed and I was hanging out with them a lot. But that's not to say that the people who went in with me weren't like that also. So I will say I was really only close with two people from that cohort. I was friends with one girl who was from another country. And then I was friends with the only guy in that cohort. So those were the two people that I was very close with. And so the one girl, um, you know, we would have wine nights on Friday nights, and it was just a great way for us to decompress about our week. And I'm so thankful for her because I, you know, she really saw so much good in me. And she it's just overall, a, just a very beautiful person inside and out. It, but there were moments where we definitely got on each other's nerves because um, both of us have really big personalities. And when you have big personalities that clash, sometimes you can get on each other's nerves. But for the most part, like, you know, we were really good friends and people could tell that we were very close. And then with me and the other guy, Jesus Christ, that's a whole nother fucking mess, which we'll get into in a second. But um <laughs> I got very close with him and then I also ended up developing, developing feelings for him as well. So that was really tough, especially when he started dating somebody um, towards the second semester of our first year. I was a little bit crushed because I really wanted to tell him how I felt at the time, but I, I didn't have the guts to do it until after he broke up with her. But there were other few people in that cohort that I just absolutely didn't click with. There were two girls that we just weren't on the same level and they always made me feel very unincluded. I want to say the first year of grad school actually wasn't that bad of an experience. I actually had a decent time despite not being in the program. I think it was more or so after 
I got rejected from the program a second time is where shit really hit the fan for me. And I just felt like my friends were slipping away from me. And I just felt like I was worthless because I wasn't a part of the CFT program. Why would anyone care? I just didn't feel included. But then what was nice is that I still, even though I never got to have classes with any of y'all, I still found a way to become friends with you because I think at the time, one girl from your cohort was living with my two friends from the cohort that came in with me. Right. So that's how I ended up becoming friendly with her. And then I met another girl in your cohort, two girls actually, who lived in the same apartment complex as me. So I was oh, able to- that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. all about that. I hung out all the time actually and she's the sweetest person and it's just really nice that even though I wasn't a part of this program I just never felt like I was discriminated by your cohort or the cohort above me but for some reason I always felt discriminated by the people who went in with me does that make sense sure and I think one of the things that you know I kind of as you've been walking through that story that you know, one, my memory is so trash and I'm working on it to this day. I'm trying to build my brain like plasticity and like remember things. But, you know, one of the things that's so, I think, key to remember about that program, which I think you've articulated correctly, is there's a lot of emphasis placed on the six people that get into the CFT program. Yes. And the kind of, I know you called it like consolation or, you know, you know, maybe alternative track I like better, but like, so whatever works for you. Um, Obviously I'm speaking from a bitter place. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um, to call it whatever feels comfortable. But I think one thing that's that probably, you know, looking back seems very clear now is that that track seems very, you know, isolated and island-like. So it's, it, you kind of, like you just said, kind of got the best of both worlds in the sense that you got to know like multiple cohorts and kind of individualized your track, but there wasn't like a consistent group, which I think is so exactly. drastically different from, you know, spending every day with the same, you know, for me, five additional people. Um, it, it kind of, without meaning to, facilitates intense connection, which, you know, you don't get if you're alone. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also felt like there were some clicks that went involved, mostly from the people that came in with me. Mm. And they, and I think I was talking about it with my guy friend from that click, or not from that click, from that cohort. And he was saying, you know, I've noticed that's been clicky and that these two people were dragging some of y'all into it. But I could tell that y'all really were trying to push back from it. It's like, you know, you appreciate those people, you love them. But you kind of knew that it was feeling clicky. Wouldn't you agree with me? Because I picked that up from you. You know what's interesting when you say that? Um, that first year, um, you know, you know, you know how like as we're talking, I'm learning things about that experience for you that obviously I didn't know because we never like talked deeply about this in the program. Yeah. Um, you know what? No one really knew at the time, for me at least, was that I was spending you know, every, basically every weekend that first year. So the year that you would have been there in Cincinnati, because I was in, you know, a difficult situation. And so I was so invested in kind of like being separated from kind of Lexington in a weird way, because I was still struggling to 
make Lexington my own. And so that kind yeah. of came in more for me the second year. And so in terms of observing things, like I was, in terms of an ego, like I was way too focused on me, it seems. Yeah, um, which I is could maybe tell you sad. pushed back a little bit. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I would say like, I could definitely see the discomfort and definitely the maybe clear lines that were drawn between maybe like the program and anyone else in any type of track. Because was there anyone even a year above or a year below you that was doing that track? Or re- was there like... Do you remember? I don't know. Like, like the regular family sciences track? Correct. So there was actually this one girl um, who was in a few of my classes and she did get to meet people um, from the CFT program above you, but I never became friends with her because she was in a relationship. She did her own thing. She was like a child life specialist. So she was only doing the program part-time when I was doing the program full-time. So I think what I noticed is that Uh, a lot of the people in the master's program who don't do the CFT track, they do it part-time. And that was another thing that made me feel incredibly isolated because I'm just thinking, is there anyone doing this program full-time? Am I just really out here on an island? just by myself. And yeah, again, it it made me feel very left out. And especially after I had gotten rejected from the program a second time, this is kind of where shit got really uncomfortable for me between the faculty. Hmm. I kind of want to give a big F you to people who are in the faculty of that department, except for maybe two people. So the person that I did my assistantship for, he actually stood up for me. And I'll tell you that in a second, because this was insane. Did not see this coming at all. And then the teacher who taught family processes, bless her. She was wonderful. Oh, yeah. No, wonderful. Agreed. Wonderful. She was so concerning. And, you know, she was just like, oh, Alana, I'm so sorry. You could just see the remorse in her face and just in her expression when I told her I, I didn't get into this. And the way you want to know how I even found out that I didn't get into this, this was just trash. So I was at, I was on campus in the Funkhauser building where our department is. And I was making photocopies for my professor that I was working for. And my friend, the one who was from another country, texted me saying, did you hear the news with the sad face? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And she says, the cohort for next year has been listed. And I'm like, oh, and this was in that this was that May, that May, May 2015. Yeah. So, oh, God, it's been five years. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) I'm in that, that, um, what is it like the mailroom and I'm making photocopies. Then I get the email, the rejection email. And the director is literally right in his room because his room is right by that room. Mm -hmm. And I had to stay silent. I couldn't show any expression and I was getting ready to cry. And I finished getting the copies for my boss and I ran back to his office and I said, I got to go. I I didn't get into the program. I'm I'm not okay. Can I just please leave any? He was like in so shocked and he said, okay, sure, sure, sure. So the next day- That's really good that you were able to 
get away and get some space. Absolutely. And then a sec- and I ran to my car and the second I get into my car, I let out the largest scream cry mm. and I had to just you let my emotions out and I'm starting to tell my friends who in the who are who are the year above me just telling them what happened. They're just like, Alana, I'm so sorry. Just please know that you're a wonderful person and that this is their loss. The next day, my boss goes to my thesis chair advisor's office and he goes to his office. Oh my God. Like, I just can't believe he did this. And he goes, are you kidding me? She got rejected. Is this even a joke? Oh my gosh. And you heard this? Were you like nearby? No, he told me, he told me that he went to his office and said, this is absolutely unacceptable. And it was just like, it was just a really competitive class. He had like no words to say. I I had no a part of this. I did not send him down there to to speak on my behalf. I had no idea that he was going to do this, but I felt like it was so awesome that he stuck, he stood up for me because, well, yeah, I just was not expecting that at all, but my relationship with my thesis advisor was very trash. There was a lot of awkward tension and I couldn't share any of my hurt and frustration with anyone from that department who was like in charge of the program because it just would make me look immature or I was afraid of being immature. I just wasn't able to say, you know, what went wrong, I don't understand. And I kind of wish I had gone back to say, can I please get feedback on, on what happened? Because I literally was a mess. I actually went to therapy at the counseling center there. Mm. And then once the school year started, I did group therapy. And I even kind of felt like an outsider in my group therapy just because I was the only grad student and it was all undergrads, but they were really nice people. I, I had to get a lot of therapy that year because I was so emotionally distraught and I wanted to take the DSM class that winter, my last semester, and the professor who taught that said that I could take it, and then and I had bought the textbooks for it, and then he decides to change his mind and his mind and revokes the status on me because I thought that was going to be a very useful class for me because I still wanted to do hands-on helping professional work. So having that knowledge was going to be very beneficial for me, and he said that I wasn't going to get any use out of it. I just felt like you know, the CFT students were favorited over me and that I just didn't feel important or valued. Oh, I'm sure, you know, as you're kind of explaining that, like, again, like to go back to kind of the point about the island of the alternative track, like I, I would wholeheartedly stand with you in the fact that I think there's a lot more energy given to, um, you know, and I think like a part of that is maybe... I want to, and maybe this is my experience and my bias of the good experience. So maybe yeah, so take, totally. this with, okay. take this with, take this with a grain of salt. So for everyone that's listening or anything like that, I think the program is marketed specifically to CFT students. And so mm-hmm. I think there wasn't a contingency plan put into place for, you know, what would happen if we had a pool of people? Cause cause they invite like 30 people onto campus. Right. And so they're selecting six from that 30 and so, you know, what happens to the remaining people who, um, you know, who made it through the competitive, the really competitive part, which is the paper part, right? The mm-hmm. resume reading, the score application, things like that, to just get onto campus, right? Like you were that good, like everyone that made it to that interview was that good, you know, that I think any of them could have been 
part of the program. And, you know, I think there wasn't maybe a contingency plan for what do we do with students who want to stay? Because I think, you know, I think you're a unique situation, which is you were like, you know, I feel connected to the university. I think this is a good program, you know, what, at the time, you know, and I think that would have been tough. I, I think a lot of people may have said, you know what, like middle finger, I'm jumping ship. Exactly. Um, but you, you know, for better, or for worse, decided to stick through, um, yeah. which still shows an incredible, you know, I think resiliency to that work. But I think that that definitely, that left a kind of an awkward space for folks. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think anyone else took that alternative track except yeah. for me. Because uh, I would have asked people if they also did the CFT track. Because, yeah, I think some people just said, you know, middle fingers to this. I will go elsewhere. And sure. Kentucky was sadly the only school that I got into. So that was like another reason as to why I, I went. Yeah. I, sort of I sort of settled it on it. Felt like you had no option. Felt like you had no option. Absolutely. Exactly. I would have done the same thing. I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. So that was kind of just how it, it was for me. And then... Mm. My second year was just a very isolated mess. So once your group came in, I felt like, you know, some clicks were forming from certain people from the group that was my age. Sure. And I just felt very unwelcomed. I couldn't mm. connect with that. These people, one of them actually just unfollowed me on all social media and it's, it's fine. You know, no hard feelings. This person, and I, we just, we just didn't get along. And I know that another friend of mine didn't get along with them as well. And it is what it is. Like, I, I'm not going to talk badly about them because I know I think you're still friends with them today, but it's just, it's okay. People but are allowed it, to have, I think I will wholeheartedly stand beside. I think people are allowed to not like everyone. And I think like yeah. there are people that I whole completely trust who I have good friends who still like people that I can't stand. So I'm like, it's, it's an awkward <laughs> parallel for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, you know, I just distance myself um, and just try to surround myself with people who actually did want to be my friends. I was, I guess I would say that I, I really liked your cohort a lot. I was friends with five out of six people just because I didn't know one person in particular. I, I never yeah. spoke one thing to this person. It was one that of the is, guys. That's <laughs> so wild you say that because um, we were, the reason I asked you, I think I asked you on Instagram. I was like, yeah. you know. And um, because we were having a conversation and I, I like one of us, I can't remember if it was me or someone else mentioned your name in some relation. And we were like, we had classes with blank or we, we never actually did, but, and he was like, what? I never met this person. And like, we were like, there's no way you didn't meet, you know, Lana. And so when you were like, no, we never met. I was like, oh my gosh, you never met. Yeah. So it sounds like he didn't even know who I was either. That's so funny. So it's wild. Yeah, How that I happened, just, I don't know, but I don't know. Well, he was never at the house that it's true. Um, that you know where everyone was living at, because I would go to that house maybe once every other weekend or so, and there was always mm -hmm. somebody around. But I guess it's just because he was just never around us. Um, I knew he was in a serious relationship, so maybe he was spending a lot of his time with his partner. I, I don't know, but. Yeah. I think that's why I never got to talk to him. Not, mm -hmm. not once, never spoken a word to him, which is just so crazy, but yeah. But I mean, I'm glad that I was able to become friends with at least most of you guys. And I yeah. still think it's really great that y'all do zoom calls together. I see it on your Instagram <sighs> story. And I'm just thinking, yeah. do you remember when I, when I DM'd you saying my cohort would never, because they wouldn't. 
there's you still know, a lot of hate within that cohort. And, you know, and I think that that's, you know, I can speak, specific, I don't know necessarily the under workings of their cohort in terms of their relationships like that, but I can speak to mine and, and, you know, the six of us connect on such an interesting level that I think, you know, and, and I think as I've seen from some of your videos that you've shared, like on YouTube, like the way that you feel about San Francisco and the people that you've met there, like there's something about when you like meet your crew or you meet like the group of folks that make you feel safe or heard or seen and finally validated kind of for a change of pace. Um, yeah. And for us, you know, that's kind of, I think always been each other. And so I'm so grateful, you know, for all of them. There's some that I talk to, you know, more often than others. Um, mm -hmm. Some, you know, to this day, like there's, there's two of them that I still talk to every other day. Um, whereas some of them, you know, it's, you know, once a month, every other week or something like that. But yeah, no, I, I, I think that our cohort was especially unique in that way. Cause I didn't Absolutely. see that from very many cohorts. Yeah. And the cohort above me, they were close in a sense, but definitely not in the way that y'all were. And then mm -hmm. the people that went with me, it was, it was very divided. And I think the one guy, so back to the situation. Sure. Um, so it wasn't until the, our last semester there, because I would say the first semester, him and I had a bit of a disconnect. It wasn't like because I had opened up my feelings. I mean, he had he had friend zoned me, and it's fine. You know, I pushed it to the back of my mind, was trying to move forward. Um, but it wasn't until I guess the second semester where we kind of picked things back up because it had sure. been a while, and you know, we still really cared about each other. Sure. And he was starting to feel isolation. He had drama because he was living with a lot of people that he was going to school with and he just wasn't getting along with anyone. And yeah. um, I don't want to put like too much of his, of his business out there, but long story short, you know, there was just, you know, there was drama conflict. and, and yeah. conflict um, that was toxic for him and anyone else. And so I'm not going to lie, him and I did a lot of shit talking sure. and that's kind of what kind of drew us back together. And then we were talking and hanging a lot out a lot. And then, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember that Cinco de Mayo party? I, I mean, I remember having a few margaritas. <laughs> so I do Me remember. Too. Me too. I remember having. <laughs> so I, I, that was at the house, correct? Yes. That was yes, at the house. Yes. I do remember. Yes. It was kind of a large party, if I'm correct. It was a large party. It was basically okay, okay. like the whole department. One of the professors showed up. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yes. <gasps> oh my God. Just so great. He, no, it he was, was a, pretty awesome. He was um, great. He was great. I hope he's doing well. And so yeah. him and I were not the professor back to the guy. He, <laughs> I was like, what a twist to the story. <laughs> what a twist to the story. Um, him and I had to keep going outside because we had to get away oh, really? from some people. Yeah. Oh. And then there was one point where him and I actually made out and. Oh, really? Like inside the house? Out, it was outside the house. Outside where the we, house. we were away from everything. And I was like, wow, I must have been really drunk. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, people kept spying on us. So <laughs> kept peeking out the window and we're just like, excuse you, go away. <laughs> they were spying on us. They, they knew something was up between the two of us. I think the whole entire party kind of knew something was going on, but I don't think people actually knew the full story. So yeah. yeah, we made out and it was great. And it just really triggered me because, you know, I thought he changed his mind about me or maybe he had feelings for me all oh, this wow. whole time. 
And then it wasn't until graduation night, we were laying on his bed, just cuddling. And then he's just like, no, I just still see you as a friend. That was a friendship kiss. And I'm just like, excuse me. No, we're, oh, wow. this is not a, this has never been platonic between you and I. Wow. And he was saying, well, this was bound to happen between you and I. And we never hooked up, but I was very heartbroken. This was actually like one of the biggest heartbreaks that I ever had just because I grew to really get to know this person, to trust this person. I knew this person for two years of my life. That was a very hard summer. That whole summer, I was dealing with this heartbreak. And I think this is just like, I need to get the fuck out of this state already. I just can't Absolutely, wait to move sure. out. So when I moved to San Francisco, I was still healing from that heartbreak. And sure. it took me a really long time to get over him. Um, so I didn't start dating in San Francisco maybe until seven or eight months when I was settled in where I was feeling a little bit more yeah. emotionally available to get back out there. But that was, you know, that was just the, the cherry on top to leaving a, a bad taste in my mouth. Him and I are, are fine now. I, so when I went to Columbus last year, I, I actually stayed with him. Oh, wow. Um, so it was really nice. And so he was like talking to a girl. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still with her now. Like he's in, he's oh. been in a relationship for a while and it's great. But, you know, going to see him actually like gave me a lot of closure for myself because when we left Kentucky, there was, I guess you want to say just a big elephant in the room and mm -hmm. like a, something unspoken, something unspoken. So him and I were kind of able to go back two years later and just kind of just make sure like, are we good? Are we okay? Just kind of trying to remember because we, we left Kentucky on kind of a bad note and I think our friendship was very important to us that we really wanted to fix that yeah. I don't really talk to him that much I think I've probably only spoken to him once this year it's just you know I I want to give him space because I think I really really suffocated him and I wasn't very emotionally regulated in grad school and I really wish I had handled the whole situation a lot healthier than I did. Now, I mean, I've matured a lot and well, sure. I- Well, years have gone by. I mean, we are approaching yeah. 30. <laughs> Wait, you are you, right? I'm you're almost, going to be, you're, you're going to be 30. Okay. I'll be 30. I mean, I just turned 29, but yeah, I'll be 30 in 2021. How, how crazy is that? <laughs> Insane. So it's like, I, I've moved on obviously, but this person is always going to be important and you know, He's still my friend, even though I don't talk to him that often. He, he's still my friend. And yeah. same thing with the one girl who lives in another country. She's still my friend. Even if I don't talk, I know if we pick things back up where we left off, everything would be okay. Oh, yeah. And she's also just wonderful. Like, she's literally like, there's not a better person out there. Like, her and also the reference to you mentioned that you were hanging out with and, you know, are just wonderful. Yeah. I haven't really talked to that much because I guess she was one person that I didn't click with but she wasn't mean to me like one other person let's just say mm. and then the other two girls in that cohort I'm just neutral about gotcha that's fair yeah so that's basically like my whole experience with grad school um I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add into friendships or anything else that happened in your life yeah. before we can talk about the therapy portion because I know we're running a little bit out of time but yeah 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 no I just think um one I'm glad that we were able to talk about this particular area like I think it's important to air out things and you know I hope that it inspires folks in the future when they're creating groups or creating organizations or creating teams to have plans for situations where people may get kind of off the the track in terms of you know, maybe a focus is going to three people instead of two people. And so what happens to the two people that aren't getting the attention? So I'm glad we're talking about it.
Yeah, me too. It's just like, if there's one thing that I've learned is that this was a growing experience and I'm very unapologetic about opening up about the hardships that I faced in grad school. And I want people to know that the shitty situation defines you and it makes you a stronger person. I will say all the bullshit that happened to me in Kentucky and just living in Lexington was just lonely in itself. Very hard to just date there in general. I was able to heal a lot and learn a lot about myself and who I didn't want to become. And I think that's very important, which kind of, I guess we can go into like the therapy track Mm -hmm. now. I'm curious to know more. So you are current, you're currently seeing clients now. How's it been like for you? And are you currently getting therapy yourself? That's a yeah, a great question. So one, I am currently seeing clients and yes, I am. I do have a therapist. So I've had a therapist for about two and a half years now. I've been the the same one. And I think therapy is something, you know, one of the greatest, you know, I think metaphors for therapy and mental health services. It's, you know, we go to the doctor to get checkups. Like I think mental health is the same way. Like, even if you feel that everything is great or good or solid in your life, like process the good stuff. Like that's also super important and like walk into joy. So, you know, over the past two and a half years, has everything been solid and perfect? Absolutely not. But I can say like, I've also worked to get to a place where, you know, with my own therapist, where we're able to walk through, you know, periods of joy, um, which actually I think truly is one of the hardest things for people to experience. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm currently seeing clients and yes, I do have a therapist that I've worked with. Thank goodness for, for two and a half years. I don't know what I'm going to do when she retires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I need to go back to therapy Mm -hmm. because 2020 has been hard. Kendall, imagine (sighs) getting laid off from two jobs, losing an apartment in June, potentially Mm -hmm. losing apartment in a few weeks because Mm -hmm. you can't find roommates to fill the three Mm -hmm. rooms that are being vacated. I moved into this apartment in October and I had no idea that everyone was going to be leaving that wasn't told to me otherwise I wouldn't have moved in but it's a great apartment like I love my room but now I'm just so fucking broke and I literally have no idea where my where my life is heading right now and my sister's boyfriend works for a health tech company and gave me a code to get free therapy through Teladoc do you know what that is I've heard of it in passing I don't know the extent of it but I have heard of it yeah so it's I guess a health insurance type. I actually don't really know too much about there's, it, but there's also, um, uh, it's not free, but it's called open path collective. It's a service that provides folks that, um, are low income or don't have insurance or, you know, feel like they can't pay the normal fee because that's, I think that's the big struggle in mental health is that yeah. it is so needed, but often not always affordable for a lot of exactly. folks. Exactly you know, even people that, you know, I think are, are doing well, whatever we define as well financially. Um, I think that there can still be a, a struggle monthly, depending on if you're going weekly or even once a month, that can be expensive. So yeah. the Open Path Collective guarantees individual couple and family sessions between 30 and $80. So it keeps yeah. things completely um, cheaper for folks. But if you're, if you found a free one, like by all means, yeah, like that's I mean, the one. he referred me. So that's why it's free. Cause basically I'm a, I'm a dependent for him. So gotcha. that's really nice. So I need to sign. I like, I registered. I just need to book a session, which I probably will do tomorrow and then set up a time because I got a lot um, to talk about. And 
I just think, you know, this year has tested everyone in some kind of way. This has been collectively, I think, the hardest year globally for all of us, because I think, you know, I think we're all wired for connection. I think that's been the theme of this whole hour mm-hmm. conversation is connection is really important. And when the, without connection, shit hits the fan. Um, exactly. And this year has prevented a lot of connection for, for a lot of people, including myself. And so, you know, it's, sometimes it's important to cling to the people that, you know, feel the safest. And, you know, I have the people that I feel super safe with, but that's very different than being able to physically be near someone. So mm-hmm. that's Absolutely. hard. It's been a hard year. I pl- throw in the fact that millions of people are losing their jobs, you know, not able to afford their small businesses. Like it's been a mess of a year. It really has. And to anyone who's listening, I just want to reiterate, and I know Kendall could easily reiterate this too, but please just know that it's okay to not feel okay and that there's no shame in getting help and talking to somebody. I know people have had really bad experiences with therapy, but find someone that you can trust to talk to and really do try to seek help when needed. There's really no shame in it. I understand sometimes you're not going to always find a good fit and that's okay. Cause I know I've had therapists that I don't mesh well with either who have made me feel shittier after talking to them. Oh, but, that is so true. Yeah. Yeah. I just really want to say, please, please don't feel bad or feel like you are crazy or that there's something wrong with you. If you need to see a therapist, because it, we need to normalize it. Yeah. And I think we're getting closer to that place um, culturally, but it's, there's still a lot of like, I think stigma and pressure to just, you know, commit to it Um, specifically, I think in terms of, you know, I think marginalized identities, specifically when we think about class status, Mm -hmm. like sometimes it's just not affordable and sometimes people work, you know, nonstop. And so there's not Mm -hmm. an ability or time to do that. And they have families, they have kids, you know, I will say the greatest thing maybe that came out of COVID was the fact that people are able to do telehealth. And so a lot more options for virtual therapy that, you know, we never saw before because I see all my clients completely virtual now. So um, that has been, I think, one saving grace of 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess this will kind of wrap up this whole conversation, but Kendall, if anyone is interested in getting therapy, where could they possibly find you for that? Yeah. So in terms of therapists, um, if you're listening from any particular state, um, we wouldn't be able to work together, but if you're from Ohio, um, all you could have to do is either look up Ohio MFT. So that's the private practice that I work in, but you could also do, um, look me up on psychology today. Psychology today is a great resource. If you're not in Ohio or you don't connect with me, or really you're just interested in therapy in general, psychology today has hundreds, if not thousands of therapists on there. And you can read their bios, you can see their areas of focus. Um, You can even search based on things like LGBTQ friendly. Um, That's one of the things that you can do. You can look up specific faiths that you have that you may would want a therapist that could speak to that a little bit more clearly or lack thereof a faith. Whatever it is, Psychology Day has it. Also, there's another site that's less used. It's called Good Therapy. That's another good one. but those are kind of the big resources you're seeing right now, but also just ask around. I mean, I think we have to normalize it with our friends too. And who knows, maybe your friend is working with someone and they'll be comfortable sharing and maybe they have a good resource. Perfect. Kendall, thank you so much for joining wow. me today. This has been such a great conversation. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So awesome. Hope everyone's 2020 ends better than, <laughs> you know, the middle one. <laughs> 
Same here, same here. And then for those of you who are listening, if you have any unapologetic experience that you would like to share, feel free to email the podcast at shamelesslyunapologeticpodcast at gmail.com. And also be sure to follow the Instagram account at shamelesslyunapologetic. And with that, I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye.